Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am James, and with me is Joe. Howdy, folks. And Chris. Hi there. And returning uh, to the podcast, a friend of the show and a classic X-Men expert, Arco Esposito. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for that, James. I'm uh, happy to be back. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like you're going to put the expertise to the test today. So let's hope I get through it. Yes. And uh, he, is jo- <laughs> he is joining us again because we are doing a character spotlight on everyone's favorite mutant team, the X-Men. Mm. We've uh, spoken about them on and off. Um, but uh, Arco has, you know, I actually got into the X-Men because of Arco's love of the X-Men when I was at Mint Condition. Um, and even afterwards, when I was, we were uh, working together at the gym. He would still give me his trade paperbacks, and that's how I learned a lot of my X-Men knowledge. So thank you, Arco, for that. Oh, you're um, welcome. So, um, so let's get into it. We talked a little bit about this on your, on your origin episode, but mm-hmm. what, what is it about the X-Men that it's made it your favorite team? And I, I, think, I think if I, you know, I may be mistaken, your favorite books to, uh, to read and collect. Yes, yes, they're definitely, um, definitely my favorite books, favorite stories, and favorite characters. And I think the biggest thing that anybody can really take away from the X Men, as opposed to other superhero groups, is how different they are. Not only from other groups, but within themselves also. You have characters like Cyclops and Jean Grey who are mutants, means they were born with their powers. But they look human. They can pass as humans. And then you have a person who looks like Nightcrawler and who can't walk down the block because he literally looks like a demon and, mm-hmm. and has a tail and pointy pointy ears and only three fingers. You have a person who's only 5'2", who looks like Wolverine. And, and the differences of these characters really stood out to me from first time from the first time that I saw them. And they hooked me right away, but with their look, and then secondly, and more importantly, for longevity, the way that they were written, their stories, that's that's what got me. So what would be, I guess, you, you mentioned in your in your first episode we did with you that you, you were exposed to these via Secret Wars and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Mm-hmm. What was, I guess, what is the X-Men story that stands out to you as the one that really got you into these characters? Oh, uh, that's a fantastic question. Um, I would say that um, when I, if if you remember, I said that I saw them for the very first time during the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars 12 issue limited series. Um, My first comic book was uh, Secret Wars number 11, and the X Men were part of that, uh, that series. But I had no idea who they were, not not one clue. Um, so when I went back and I got more issues of that series from uh, 1 to 12, it sort of kind of fleshed them out a little bit, but not enough to really tell you who they were. All it did was make me more interested in finding out who these characters were. So at that time, it was um, the run was, if I'm not mistaken, it one the 180s it was it was the time that the uh, secret wars came out so the x-men 180s what late 170s and 180s was when it was when it, when it came out and that's when i got into them and um, although i'm not exactly sure what um, what storyline it was it wasn't a huge storyline but i do remember that the morlocks were a prominent part of it and now you have a whole other uh, bunch of mutants that uh, people that 
you know you can't, you can't even imagine that they're they're that they're in comic books you know these these people aren't pretty they're not the they're not clark kent with the cowlick looks and the midwestern looks it's uh you know a whole other ball game and really roped me in no that sounds great i guess i guess for the audience or anyone listening who's who's only peripherally you know knowledgeable about the, the x-men or maybe only through the movies and stuff are you are you um, up to the ta- task of telling us, like, in, up to, I guess, whenever you stop reading, the chronology of the different teams? Like, so we had the original team, which was the five X-Men. So it was uh, with Gene, Cyclops, Iceman, Angel, and Beast, right? And Xavier? Right, right. So what, what's the next phase after we get those original five? Oh, okay. Okay, so we're going – so this is classic, classic stuff. Okay, cool. So, so that original five – uh, included a few uh, a few dozen issues later a person by the name of the mimic uh they allowed him into the uh, the group um he he was a superhero that was basically able to mimic the powers of everybody else so uh, he he was in it and you didn't really have too much of a change in the core group until um neil adams came uh came in the late 60s and uh, created uh, um polaris and havoc uh havoc being the long lost brother of cyclops um so that that group was it up until 1970 so you have the five and then you had uh, havoc and polaris that were kind of in and out of the group and up until ni- and, until 1970 that was it and then from 1970 to 1975, you didn't have any X-Men. You just had reprints until the the uh, seminal, groundbreaking, giant size X-Men number one by, uh, I believe, Joe's favorite uh, writer. Yeah, Len Wing. Good, good Len for Wing. you, Ark. Oh, yes. yes. I, I know. I remember you telling me how you met him. And my second least favorite cartoonist, when, uh, uh, artist when it came to uh, the X-Men, Dave Cockrum. He, he was just too simple for, for, for what the X-Men were. Um, but, you know, that, uh, that, that introduced us to Nightcrawler, to Thunderbird, to Storm, uh, to Colossus, and for most people, it introduced us to um, Wolverine, except for those lucky few that a year or so earlier were able to get um, Hulk 180, 181, where he uh, showed up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, that, yeah. that's that. And that was the core group. Uh, James, that everybody uh, everybody knows at that point for, in 1975 when they took over, um, you know, uh, you had a, you had the original X Men were still around, um, the uh, uh, Angel, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, and then you had this new group. And what were they going to do? Were they going to put them all together? Um, no, turned out they weren't. And the original group left, and now you had this classic group and you had them from issue 95 until issue 139 and that's when more changes came was uh did the original group retire was that when they went became x-factor or is that later no no the original group um went their own ways and uh in the 70s you had them you had uh let's see you had angel and iceman they joined the um the champions 
Right. Uh, it was a little bit of a West Coast group also with Doctor Strange, I think, and the Hulk was in it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Silver Surfer was in it also. Um, then in the 80s, you had uh, Angel and Iceman was part of um, the Defenders, the new Defenders. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. And then Beast, however... Uh, in 1972, uh, which I, I actually was reading the reprint issue right before I got on with oh. you guys, in uh, Amazing Tales number 11, Beast went from being a uh, normal-looking, quote-unquote, mutant man to the furry blue Beast that we all know and love him by uh, some kind of uh, concoction that he put for himself. And mm-hmm. he's been like that ever since, pretty much, uh, 90% of the time. But he joined the Avengers, so he was a card-carrying Avenger for the longest time. Um, And Mm, uh, what you were talking about, James, 1985, a classic storyline where um, Jean Grey, you know, if uh, (laughs) we're skipping a lot here, but Jean Grey by 1985 had been dead for about four or five years uh, because she died in issue 130, uh, excuse me, 137 of the uh, Dark Phoenix saga, X-Men. And um, a few years later, they decided that they were going to bring her back and they brought her back in a fantastic four comic, uh, like two sixty five or something. Um, excuse me if I don't have it. And, uh, they found her at the bottom of Jamaica Bay and, uh, and that <laughs> was with the mob. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, that same time that, uh, the X-Men, I think we're at like X-Men 90, 195, 196. And, um, Scott, Scott, who was married to uh, Madeline Pryor in the X-Men comic books, who, unbeknownst to us, was a Jean Grey clone. I'm sorry if I'm blowing anybody's mind here, but a a Jean Grey clone. uh, That's why he was so madly in love with uh, Madeline Pryor. He couldn't understand Mm -hmm. why he was, you know, so drawn to her, but that was the reason why. Left her, left his newborn baby son, Nathaniel Summers, also known as Cable. Okay. Grew up to be Cable, and uh, then went to <laughs> left Madeline, and uh, you know, right then and there in Alaska where they were living, and then went to pick up Gene, and uh, the original group got back together again, and they formed X, um, excuse me, uh, X Factor, and uh, you know, not just a regular group of uh, of mutants. They were basically, uh, you know, they they were they were doing the uh, uh, the thing where. During the day, they would they would be out hunting "quote unquote" mutants, but as uh, as X Factor, they were actually taking group uh, mutants in off the streets so they would not hurt themselves or other people. Wow, that was a great wow, recap. That's a great. That's fantastic, Uncle. <laughs> I mean, trust that's me, it was a, it was a very it, 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 I glossed over most of it, obviously, but uh, I didn't want to you know bore you too much. <laughs> Still fantastic. No, that was great. So I, I guess we we have a lot of ground we can we can cover, and obviously you you skipped a lot of ground, and there's a lot of things to unpack. But let's start with the characters. I guess who is your who are your top five favorite X X Men or mutants in the X Men universe? Okay, well um, I'm gonna go with um, obviously my favorite is gonna be Wolverine, and uh, Wolverine was my favorite as a kid because of the way he looked and the fact that these claws came out of him and you couldn't kill him and the, and the healing factor. And then it was very superficial. Why, why Wolverine was everybody's favorite when I was younger. However, you know, the, the writers, you know, whether it be Claremont or, or 
or Jim Lee or um, uh, some, excuse me, some of the people from the 90s, they put so many layers on Wolverine that made him such a great character. Um, you know, just how old he is, what he's been through, all that he knows. Um, it, it's just more than just the claws for, for me. Um, the second one is uh, Cyclops. I I love the Boy Scout. I, I, I do. He's uh he's just you know, he he tried to be the he tried to be the son that Xavier never wanted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, you know, can never really live up to his own expectations. Um, um I love Jean Grey, um, but I love her as Marvel Girl and not as Phoenix. I don't like anybody who's that uh overpowered. I, I I love the Phoenix Dark Phoenix saga. However, I I liked her much better as just a regular mutant mutant in the in the group. I think she works better. Um, uh, my uh, fourth would be um, Colossus because he was so he was such a he was such a farm boy. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave his family when Xavier came to his his farm in Russia back in 1975. Didn't want to leave his his young his young sister. Um, so one of the storylines that I love of his, that was so poignant was when he died in the early two thousands, so that all mutants could live and, um, his death prevented others from having the, uh, legacy virus, which was a thing back in the nineties, if you remember, uh, but of course, you know, you needed uh, Joss Whedon to bring him back about 10 years later. So <laughs> kind of ruined that a little bit, but that's fine. And then finally, uh, I think everybody's favorite rogue of the 90s, not, not rogue, excuse me, I should have said a, a different word, bad boy, was Gambit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, uh, really uh, tipped your hand there, didn't you? Yeah, you sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, you know, he was he was into rogue too, but, um, you know, Gambit was such a great character. A lot of people don't realize that when he came, he, he started out in X-Men 266, as a nothing character, an absolutely nothing character. He was uh, created by Jim Lee at the time. And what they made him within two years was uh, phenomenal. It, it really was. I love his look. I love his power set. I love the way he talked, that stupid Cajun accent. I don't care who <laughs> it was that wrote him. I read that accent and I, and I read it just like Gambit would say it. <laughs> so those are my favorite. No, that's a great lineup. Oh, um, thank you. Chris, Chris and Joe, I know you didn't even prepare for it, and I know you're not as steeped in it as Arca, but what's, uh, I guess, Chris, do you have your favorite X-Men? Sure. Um, well, uh, mine, mine is a little bit of a, a little bit of a mixed bag, um, for, for different reasons. And I don't know that I have, uh, like, I don't know that I have a top five in terms of like order, but, um, I was always a fan of Iceman mostly because of his powers, honestly. <laughs> I just thought I, I always liked the idea of, of ice powers, So I thought I, I appreciated that. Um, I loved Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler was always yeah. one of my favorites. The way he looked, I loved his his power, his ability. That that teleportation um, was super cool. But one of the things I also always loved about Nightcrawler, at least the Nightcrawler that I read, was like how gentle he was, how thoughtful he was. Right? Um, it was and very very upsetting. religious too, Chris. Very yeah. religious. Yeah. yeah, very very religious. And and how much conflict that set up within him that here he is religious. Um, you know, he's a Christian and he looks like the devil. Right. So like trying to reconcile that with himself, all the all of the work he put into his relationship with Kitty Pride. Right. Because he was so unsettling for Kitty for so mm -hmm. long. Yep. Um, and and 
you know, he tried, he tried really hard to give her the benefit of the doubt as to why and the understanding and everything. But, you know, being, you know, you mentioned it, you hit on it earlier, Arco, the fact that he could also, because of his looks, he could be rejected, not only by like humanity in general, but be rejected by his own kind, right. um, you know, genuinely upsetting. So, so watching him navigate that, reading him navigate that, he was, he was always one that I liked too. Um, I was also a fan of Cyclops. Um, I, I liked that he, he was pretty unflappable. Um, and also that his power compared to so many of the other X-Men was like, felt very, um, very underwhelming, right? Like he could be such a one dimensional character, Mm -hmm. um, because he just, he shoots eye beams. Okay. Well, that's cool. But how many other X-Men can do so much more than that? Mm -hmm. Um, his powers always felt very one dimensional, so how you take a character with a one-dimensional power and make it a three-dimensional character, I always thought was was impressive. Um, I always liked Storm, uh, the way she carried herself. Uh, her powers I thought were super cool. Um, but the respect that everybody on the team accorded her, um, I always thought was was really, really great. So and and she and um oh gosh, and now I'm gonna forget the who who played Storm in the movie. Halle Berry. Thank Halle you, Halle Berry. Yeah. She really made it for me. Um, I thought she really, really embodied Aurora, and uh, and I just I really liked what she brought to the character so much. Like, and and we had talked about this uh, in pre- in other episodes, James, um, that like you know we weren't big fans of Captain America, America, but Chris Evans really did it for us. And now when we go back and we read Cap, or when we think of Cap, we think of Chris Evans, and that is in a lot of ways how I feel about Storm. Um, so I, I I think I've only named I've only named four, but honestly I can't think of a fifth that really stuck with me. I was never a huge Wolverine fan. Uh, Gambit was fun, but I didn't love him. Um, you know, I, I so so I think there were a lot of other X Men that I that I liked, but didn't but didn't love um, the way that I the way that I love the four that I mentioned. No, that was that's a great list, especially isn't yeah. kind of impromptu. I just, I just, I just said so, and you had good reasoning, so I'll take it. Um, uh, Joe, what, do you have a you have a few X Men that are at your top? Oh yeah, I mean Chris poached a few already, but um, the original that's, team that's is always, really all I could ask for. Yeah, the, the original team, of course. Uh, but uh, one that Chris didn't mention or Arco, but to that matter is Rogue. I, I, I always thought Rogue was kind of cool that she couldn't touch anybody, and uh, you know I just think that's um, that made her even a more sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, steal that, and, that, their, and that's a good word to use not only for her but for all of them because yes most of the x-men uh, had powers where they not only they they did not only manifest the, the, with the way they look like nightcrawler but also in the way that they couldn't control them um easily so cyclops, yeah, when, I cyclops surprised, when i was a kid you know couldn't you know yeah, couldn't yeah, look at anybody yeah. without killing them rogue throughout I don't know if it's changed in the last 15 years, but, you know, couldn't touch anybody or else she, uh, you know, had to, you know, draw their powers, their memories. And, and the Mm -hmm. one time that it uh, was permanent when she, uh, you know, uh, was uh, absorbed Carol Danvers's memories and personality and powers. So that, that was definitely sympathetic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I also liked the beast when he, when he did turn blue and I liked when he joined the Avengers and he, they had that great, um, Friendship, uh, uh, that bromance with Wonder Man. I, th- I thought that was yes, very well written. Yes, yes. Although that, that happened more in the 80s. But yes, I, I do. I yeah. do remember that. Yeah, and, and of course I like uh, – and Nightcrawler was always one of my favorites for the same reason that Chris, uh, reason that Chris expounded upon. That whole um, Catholic guilt 
and then looking like the devil and, and, and have, having to reconcile mm-hmm. that. And, really? that's, um, that's interesting. I'm so surprised given your, uh, your pension for right. pushing uh, daredevil stories. I'm really surprised that's something that uh, <laughs> that lined up with oh, your well, interests. <laughs> well, there you go. Secret. Oh, no. I, I'm no, just no, the obvious. I think you would suggest <laughs> yeah. a little while back. Um, was it uh, not Daredevil Born Again? Which one did you, was that the one you suggested? Or was that yeah, James' suggestion? You mean the best comic book story ever written? Daredevil Born that's Again? Yes. That was, that's, that, that's up there. I yeah, and the parallels between Daredevil and, and Nightcrawler, though, of course, you know, Matt Murdock could always hide the devil that he was, whereas Nightcrawler could not. Could not. Like, so, could not, no. So, no, I, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm right there with you. And I'll throw in Wolverine. I think, you know, everybody just... Uh, Kind of fell in love with Wolverine at the very beginning because he was so intense. And and Arco, maybe you can you can clear this up for me. But I, you know, we knew he was he was uh, he had this analytic side. But in the early issues uh, under Claremont, I don't think we ever saw him kill anybody or gut anybody like he was later known to do. No, no. Uh, but I think I think the first time that happened might have been when they came up against the Hellfire Club and he killed some of those goons. Yes. Is that possible? Yes. Am I remembering that right? Uh, the, uh, okay. the Hellfire yeah. issues in the 120s, that's when he did go yeah. through the goons and yeah. he was a little yes. bit more Yes, there was a holy shit yeah. moment, yeah. right? Yeah. They, had, they kept trying to pull him back at that point. They kept trying to stop they him could, from killing. But they couldn't do it. At some point, they had to let him right. go. And, and, and that's when he became even more popular. I, I agree. So, I agree. So they'll... It was also just really sharp for, for, for as much as I, he wasn't one of my favorites or anything. He was just really sharp character design because it was, it was. So let me ask you before I, before I share any of my own Mm -hmm. thoughts on this. So I want to put this question out to the, to the group and especially to Arco as our resident X-Men expert. But (laughs) um, you know, what do you think was so, so strong about Wolverine slash Logan, his, his, his character design that really made him resonate. I mean, is it at this point, is it true that he's the only X-Men that we've seen in every X-Men movie too? Hmm. Um, he yeah, wasn't he in was, the last one. He wasn't in the last one. He yeah. wasn't in the last one. And he showed up just okay. for a split second for a cup of coffee. In first the, class. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, he told bar. him to ask yes, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Um, <laughs> As far as, his design. I think that Len Wein was a. I'm sorry. Uh, was Len Wein the uh, the artist for that? I'm sorry. Is he, or is he the writer? I, I apologize. He was the writer. He was the, he writer. Was the writer. So, um, so Dave Cockrum uh, changed the look from the Hulk from the Hulk issues uh, a year or so earlier, just a little bit. He took the whiskers off. Mm-hmm. He made the uh, the um, ear point a little bit higher, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the claws were the same. Now. The claws at that point, the 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 way that it was written by Len Wein, that his he really didn't even know what his power was. (laughs) Okay, so there there was no there was no really a defined power that he had. He was just a little bit animalistic, a little bit of a brawler, and Claremont really did not do anything with that either. Well, uh, and Claremont did not do anything with that either until issue ninety nine, where, um. Uh, Cockrum showed that the claws were not just on top of his hand, but were actually part of him. And that's when you see yeah. that's when you see um, uh, Banshee turn to him and say and says something in the Irish brogue, "Boyo, your claws, they're part of you." We didn't really, we didn't know that. And he go and he goes, "You never asked." 
<laughs> so, but 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 not only but not only that, but his look. From I love Lucy. Yeah, but but not only but not only his look, but also the way he spoke. He was not. He was the antithesis of the Boy Scout that was Cyclops. And what really worked, I think, looking back, because I I didn't collect the issues at the time. Obviously, I I've reread them. I've um, in the uh, in books uh, how they put Wolverine and Cyclops at each other's throats from the beginning and and over originally over Jean Grey and the fact that Wolverine was in love with her from the minute he saw her and so it was always going to be a friction between the two and they've carried that ever since I think I ever since yeah, yeah pretty much ever since respectfully he's stood away from her but he will always always love her no matter what I mean he's been married to other people he's been da- he dated other people but he always loved Jean Grey yeah and I was I was looking at I could be wrong but they said the original Wolverine costume design was done by John Romita Sr. That's that's correct. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, John Romita Sr. did the original costume design for him. So, um, and in terms, of just I, I guess my I think all the X Men that you guys have listed would would have made my list. I loved I loved Beast was my number one X Men. Wolverine being number two. Cyclops, Storm, uh, Christopher, Mary, the same reasons. But uh, I think the only one that's not that's not been brought up is I really enjoyed Archangel um, when Angel got transformed into the angel of death by apocalypse and then mm-hmm. had to work his way back. I, I really enjoyed that version of the character. It's um, a good choice. Very good uh, choice. I think since then he's been rehabilitated fully back to angel, <laughs> but, um, but I really enjoyed that. It was a pretty long time period that he was Archangel. Oh, it, was, so. it was over 20 years. Yeah. I, I remember when he lost the wings and uh, I, I remember when he got back to uh, the feathered wings. I, to be quite honest with you, I liked the, I liked the metal ones better. Yes, the metal ones. Well, he well he was only like that was giving him a weapon. Like otherwise, he was just a guy who could fly with wings, which is really cool to look at. It's like he presented a yeah. very powerful image. But Archangel, the wep- the wings actually were a weapon he could use. So yes, yes. Um, well, having gone through the, li- the list of characters and all our X Men, I think it's and since we you gave us a brief summary of all of X Men, it's probably good for I guess you know some. I don't think Chris has read a lot of it. Joe has read it. I've I've read a lot of it, but out of order. What would you consider Arco or like? I guess your top five X-Men recommendations, not necessarily for new people, but just people who enjoy X-Men mm-hmm. or want to get a real flavor for what would be your top five storylines that are out there? Well, <laughs> um, I would say, and I have a list in front of me. However, speaking about some of the classic stuff from 1975, uh, I know that there is a, um, short small little uh, trade paperback that has issues a giant size x-men through 95 to uh 99 if uh if you can get those i would say start there and uh, you don't need to go back any further and unless unless you really want to because the x-men that you see today will all be in that issue and uh you, you that's a great starting point but from where i started and in 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 85 and going forward, I would say that my favorite storylines are also great places for people to start. Um, James, I remember you speaking about this uh, a, a few episodes ago. I, I brought it up at some point. Um, Marvel Mutant Massacre uh, happened in fall of 1986. And that's when, you know, the mutants started dying. Literally, they were getting killed in the... Um, all over the country, but m- m- mainly in the uh, Morlock tunnels. Uh, that was a great storyline. It um, 
it had some Thor in it. It had Power Pack in it for those who remember Power Pack from the eighties. Not not a great, not a great group, but it's all right. Um, they were they were in it, uh, so that was fantastic. Um, and that was the beginning of the X Men uh, universe crossovers. Uh, I think you've also mentioned James that you read or you started reading Fall of the Mutants uh, a few episodes back. Um, that 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 whole um, storyline was fantastic, also. And there was actually a death of a X Men character in that. James, did you read that? I don't want to give it away if you no, have. No, yeah, yeah. You actually, I think you let me borrow your trade. Oh, okay. Way well, back when. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so you know that uh, you know a, uh, a a major character in New Mutants, but probably minor in the whole uh, in in the whole universe of X Men, died. Uh, Doug Ramsey, also known as Cipher. Um, so that that had some implications. That whole storyline. Um, especially with the X-Men and, and what happened to them in uh, Dallas, um, how everybody saw them on television dying. So the whole world thought they were dead. Um, and then that led into 1988's Inferno, which was a uh, – it was – I tell you, if anybody was – I've never done drugs before, but this is about as close as you're going to get. If you ever do drugs and you read this, I, I promise you, you'll trip out reading Inferno. <laughs> it was insane. It was, uh, it was basically hell on earth, specifically in New York. And, and trust me, 1988 New York, you weren't far from hell on earth. Um, Joe, I'm sure you could uh, you can speak to that. Um, it was uh, – it was it was a great series. Also had lasting implications. Uh, had Madeline Pryor in it, um, you know, as the Goblin Queen. Um, a lot of uh, characters, of, you know, went went crazy in that. Um, but you know, it's uh, it, it it really it really stuck it stuck home for me. Uh, of a few years later, Executioner song. Uh, if you remember that, folks, the early nineties. This is when the X Men were. Um, two groups, the blue team, the gold team, but they were working with a lot of other X groups like X Factor, X Force. They were all in this. Um, this was when Strife and Cable were, you know, uh, were at each other, and basically everybody else was uh, in in the crossfire. Um, one of the one of the greatest things from that particular series was the uh, the issue after it ended. One of the um, one of the things that would happen to uh, uh, Xavier is that he was able to walk after that. He didn't need his uh, wheelchair any longer. And it was just a temporary thing. So he was walking around talking to Jubilee and um, he knew that it was going to be going away at some point. And it was really poignant to watch him basically lose his ability to walk that he hadn't done it in so long. And he's just enjoying it as long as he possibly could. And, and then it just goes away at the end. Sounds very like flowers for Algernon. Yeah, there you go. Very good. That's a, oh, thank you very much for bringing that up. I've been thinking about that. And I forgot the name of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was gonna. I meant I was gonna mention <sighs> our sci-fi episode, but we did a wow. We, but it never came up. But yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't known about that storyline. But that's exactly what it sounds like. It's a yeah. man who now has a thing that he knows he's going to lose. And yeah. what do you do when you have that limited amount of time to to go? Yeah, this is a thing that I'm not going to get again. Yeah, it was it was just one episode. I mean, one uh, one issue, uh, and uh, you know, a little part of it. And so I remember that being very poignant. And then um, Fatal Attractions. And and if if you read Fatal Attractions, if you know anything from Wolverine in the '90s, you know that he lost the one thing that everybody knew him for, and that was his adamantium claws. He lost them, 
and it was ripped out of him in a great scene by by Magneto, literally, literally pulled the metal, molten metal from his pores. Every hole, <laughs> it, it came out of everywhere, and you know he was still alive because of his healing factor. And what do we find out in that classic? It was a big splash page when he goes to uh, be in the danger room again that he goes to pop his claws and they came out and he's screaming because he realizes because he's in pain one and two that's when you realize that he, the bone the, the claws were always bone which means that he was born with them and there was another layer so i would say i would say that those you, you get started with any of those you're you're good as an x-men fan no, those are those are all great. I, I guess I should top it off with with my favorite storyline of all time, and I think it was like the last storyline you read was Age of Apocalypse. Yes, I I, I was I was waiting for you to bring it up, James. Age yeah, of Apocalypse, and uh, James. I, uh, I think, look at that, Arco's trying hard not to poach James. That's, no, I didn't want. No, I, I knew, I knew he was going to bring it up. So far, truthfully, <laughs> you know, Age of Apocalypse, and uh, for me and uh, James, I, maybe James as much as me, but I'm. I, it was such a departure from what we had seen. It, it was it was just a f- somebody turned on a switch to another world where your characters, your beloved characters, and you know you had some other Marvel characters in this, but most of them were dead, and all that was basically a, a, around anymore were the X Men characters. And what would they be like if they grew up a different way for twenty years? And this showed us, and it was so well done. The fact that at the end, when it was over, no, spoiler alert, but when it was over, it wasn't a happy ending, and it, it it just it just ended. It was it was perfect the way it ended. It ended in white. Of course, it didn't just end. Some some bits and pieces of it still stayed in the regular Marvel universe, which worked for me. You know, through the nineties, that worked. I, I thought it was cool, but um, that that you you're gonna have to you know those were a lot of issues. Uh, I have no problem collecting those issues, and I know that they make trade paperbacks for every single one of those issues. If you can find them, totally worth every penny you get when if you uh, you spend on those if you can get them. Yeah, they're they're pricier, but they yeah. but I, I had a, I've had a couple of them. I have them like more digital now, just as easier for me to read. But they right. but it's not just like the core issues. They gave you everything. Like all those those compendiums mm-hmm. give you every because every X book was converted to Age of Apocalypse book, and right, then they right. also they also came out with a general marvel universe either a couple issues of what happened to all your other heroes that were right, alive right, so great. it it is worth the money if you can if and if you want the investment of reading that entire i think it's like five volumes or you can spend the big bucks and buy the omnibus which is like 150 bucks that that's that's right. like a tome but <laughs> or, or do what i did buy three different uh i have three full series of it so <laughs> yeah so do what i did <laughs> yeah i want to if i can for a second i sort of want to flip uh, one of the questions on its head, because, you know, it's 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 just not a thing I've I've considered. But um, but in other episodes, we've talked about how we certain we uh, you know, my favorites are, are uh, Flash, uh, Spider-Man and Batman for their rogues galleries. But I never frequently think of the X-Men rogues gallery, but it's actually really quite good. But I think the part of that is that I don't I don't think of them as rogues. I think of them as as real villains and some of them are more three-dimensional than others but we've talked about our favorite x-men let me put the question starting with you arco and then going to everybody else um what's who's your favorite x-men villain my favorite number one villain is going to be um a tie between mr sinister and apocalypse i love 
I love, and I cannot stress enough, Mr. Sinister. I love when he first showed up. I love his backstory that he wanted to kill um, every genetic variant of mutant that he felt was un, uh, unworthy of being alive because it was messing up the gene pool. Um, and I love the fact that he is attached to hip uh, with Apocalypse, who when he first showed up in um, in X Factor number five was... <laughs> You know, not much of a threat that he is not a, not much of a celestial threat that he is now, or or has been in the in the last twenty years. But those two have a great storyline and were able to affect both in the in the eighties directly and indirectly twenty years worth of comics. And I think that by doing that, you really can you show that you are a great greatly written character. And they did fantastic with those two. Great choice, great choice. What about you, Joe? Excellent. Well, Magneto, of course, because he's, he sets the, the stage for the for the, for the whole the whole series, actually. But um, and I, also the way that Magneto interacts with the rest of the Marvel universe. I just finished reading as you. I don't know if Alcorn knows. I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but I'm I caught my march through Marvel and I'm up to 1971 now. With the epic editions in my collection, I'm able to read whatever came out that month. And I just got past the Fantastic Four two-parter with when the unholy alliance between Magneto and Samara against the uh, the Fantastic Four, and it's just uh, great, great issues. But but there's one one villain I like, and she has a great look to her, and she had a great uh, moment in X Two X Men United, and that's Lady Deathstrike. Mm-hmm. I just think she's a great great villain, and I just love her. her uh, just love the way she's she was designed, and I love that. Um, that battle with Wolverine in the movie. So, Great uh, origin story movie. too, Joe. If you know it from the yeah. uh, from the mm-hmm. comics, um, for those who don't know, Lady uh, Lady Deathstrike, uh, whose first name whose name will Yuriko, I think, is her first name, but I'm not That's sure. That's correct. It's Yuriko. And, yeah. Okay. Lisa, yeah. And um, she is the daughter of the man who created um, adamantium. And um, was she feels was stolen from him and uh, used on Wolverine. So she has a grudge match. Uh, she has a grudge, right. basically a lifelong grudge against him uh, forever. So she uh, had herself changed cybernetic implants and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. adamantium claws on her by the uh, other villainous spiral who uh, did that to her. And ever since then, she's been uh, basically hounding Wolverine. Cool. Yeah. No, she's a great character. Good choices. Uh, what about you, James? Um, I mean, I, I mean, I love Apocalypse. Obviously, I love Magneto, but I also I like Sabretooth, too. I mean, he's not necessarily an, he's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. sure. Him. You're right. Uh, I was wondering if somebody was going to pick Sabretooth. Yeah, um, yeah. Sabretooth is great, and I also, I mean, I, Sentinels are great too. I mean, I think they're a great aspect of the mm-hmm. whole Absolutely. like humanity hates mutants, and we've created technology to destroy them. I, it's Sentinels have a great look, and. Uh, I, I, you know, it's funny, Chris, I had the same way, like thinking about a rogues gallery, like sometimes I don't always think about, I guess because everyone's mutants, they're just like evil mutants and not rogues. I don't know. It is, it is, a, it is a sort of an interesting thought process where I think about the X-Men villains and I'm like, well, some of these guys have been good guys at some point. Wait, right. has, hasn't Magneto been part of the X-Men team outside yeah. of like, oh, sure. <laughs> he led them in issue 200 of the original Uncanny mm-hmm. X-Men. Um, Charles Xavier, who was on trial, oh, the trial of Magneto, basically, uh, in, in, in the Hague, uh, in Europe, uh, 
Charles Xavier has a heart attack and is taken into space by his lover, Lilandra, from the Shire Empire and is left leaves Magneto in charge of his school, basically running the X-Men and the new, well, the new mutants more because the X-Men were, you know, adults by that point. So they didn't need, um, you know, supervision, but he was in charge of the new mutants for, you know, for a while. Well, and frankly, he's also one of the most sympathetic villains in all of comic books, right? He's absolutely the, the same things that we describe about the, the like the good qualities that the, the qualities that make Killmonger such a good a good character in the Black Panther movie. It's the same thing with with Eric, right? Because he's not he's not wrong. Like some of the things that he's that you'd go, okay, this is this is too far, um, but. But how this, how he became Magneto, um, his surviving the Holocaust when his family didn't, all, all of that, that persecution that he already went through for being Jewish, and now you tack on that he's a mutant, um, you know, how can you not sympathize with a character like that and that, that maybe he does take it too far and, and um, there's a lot about the character's history that I don't know as to whether or not things are unforgivable whether or not he's redeemable but it makes a lot of sense that that he he has he has continued to he's continued to stick around as such as such as an intriguing and compelling character mm -hmm. i agree he's a many many layered villain right and you know you can understand the uh his uh his motivations you don't have to condone the things he does but you like you said chris with same thing with, with killmonger yeah it's um uh, and that's another thing about the X-Men. Sometimes it's hard to tell the uh, the villain and the hero plot in, in, throughout the history of the X-Men. And it makes it even more intriguing to read and to, and to, and to become part of that world. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a great good, good choices, James. Oh, th yeah. Thank you. Um, is, Anarcho, I, I guess going back to your first episode when we mm -hmm. talked about this, but the X-Men, now you just brought it up, kind of tie your two favorites. Um, so you get the cosmic stuff in X-Men also with the Tal Shiar and oh, yeah. the star jammers and uh, it's funny you say that because my one of my least favorite artists of Dave Cockrum um came back after John Byrne left uh John Byrne right. had a great run from issue like 108 to 140 oh, I know actually he did like 144 he did uh, days of future past he finished I, I think on that one and uh, Dave Cockrum came back and he is his run brought us um star jammers brought us the brood um and mm. uh and one of my favorite one of my favorite one issue um x-men stories was uh, kitty's fairy tale if you have a chance to look it up you'll oh. love it um however um while i do like the space aspect of it i it's it's always well, far down the line because Cochran's art to me is so flat that it is um it, it makes it unenjoyable for me yeah i mean that's definitely fair i there's plenty of um you know I've talked about many artists, especially during that later run of Ultimate X-Men that were the art, the art of, I think, Chris Bellaccio. No disrespect, but I didn't really, it was not fitting for that book. Uh, so oh. I completely oh, I agree. <laughs> I completely understand when the artist kind of ruins the story or doesn't elevate the story like it should be. But um, I, 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 here's a controversial question. Might as well ask you. Mm -hmm. X and this this is a book I do remember you collected for the store X Men Origins Wolverine was mm -hmm. that a good introduction or not a good introduction to the character? 
Like, is that something that you wanted to see Wolverine's origin or should we have never, never seen those books ever? So that's the four issue limited series that that's came the out. Fourth. Like, that's Andy Kubert, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, the Andy Kubert. So James, one, one thing that I remember uh, very well, uh, when that, when that second issue came out and I went to buy it, you were standing behind the desk of uh, uh, the counter at mint. <laughs> and uh, you probably don't remember this, but uh, I, uh, I, I said, did you read it? And you go, there are no words. <laughs> and it was it was so cool that to hear you say that it made me really look forward to to, to reading it. Um, yeah, it, it was time to give him an origin, a, a name. It was time. It, it really worked good. Um, the only thing that it, it, see, this is what I don't like when it comes to TV series or movies or looking back on it, comics is that these creators, these, these writers are trying to be too clever. There was no reason mm-hmm. for the, his, his, the antagonist in that series dog, whatever his name was to not be Sabretooth. Okay. You, you, they drew him like Sabretooth. They gave him powers like Sabretooth. But it wasn't Sabretooth, okay? There was no reason to do that, okay? There didn't need to be somebody else out there with the powers, that with the same style and same look as Wolverine and Sabretooth and not have it be Sabretooth. So that was the one thing that I did not like from that. Uh, otherwise, I'm perfectly okay with that origin story. No, I am too. I just know some, you know, you de- debate, I, the debates about X-Men fans and comic fans is like, yeah, you should never have an origin. I was just curious what your thoughts were. I enjoyed the whole series. Yeah, the I art, did too. The art was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, what, I mean, I know you read that series too. What were your thoughts on it? I'm mostly Echo Arcos, but but there is a part of me, and I still, I still hold on to this, that um, sometimes I don't want to know everything about a, a character, especially if they're iconic character, an iconic, mysterious character like, like Wolverine, or in the DC universe, like the Phantom Stranger. Uh, you know, I can, uh, I, can, I can do it out their origins. I, I don't need them. But, I, I, you know, I will say that, um, and, and I, I'm sorry, to, uh, I, don't, who, I, I don't remember who wrote the, uh, uh, that storyline. Uh, Arca, who was that? Who was the author Fantastic of that? question. I have it here right in front of me, yeah. but I can't see that far across, so I don't know who, uh, I don't okay, know who wrote sorry. it, to be quite honest with you. Um, well, you know, see. again, uh, it's a good story. Um, I didn't, I did not dislike it, but uh, I know Chris and I have spoken about this in other, other, other uh, podcasts about certain things vis-a-vis of popular culture and science fiction and comics. Sometimes you don't need things, you know. You don't need to know, know that. And so for me, I, I really didn't need to know Beyond that, he was, you know, called Logan uh, slash Wolverine, but um, it's it's okay. Uh, I don't have a I don't have a major problem with it. But there but, but there are characters I do not want to know about their backgrounds. I think they should stay shrouded in mystery. Um, I think you say Bill the, Bill James. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill James. Okay, James. yes. Yep. I would have never in a million years. Me neither. Sorry. Remember that against <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And Chris, have you read that story? No, no, I, I can't say I have. I'm. You know, again, I'm I. There was so much X Men that I missed, and I grew up watching the cartoon. I grew up watching the the '90s cartoon, um, and really enjoying it. But for whatever reason, that didn't really translate into a love of the comics. But also, by the time I got into comics, like heavily, it was around the time that like Ultimate X Men came out, and I was running into sort of the same problem you were, James, with the art that I couldn't tell who these characters 
were, <laughs> you know, a bunch of them looked exactly the same. I was, I was grateful uh, when you had like a, a woman on there because I was like, oh, I, I know who that is, but like, but if you took Cyclops out of, out of uniform, I was like, I, I, that could be any number of X-Men. Um, well, he always had his ruby quartz glasses. That's how you always told who Cyclops was. But sometimes yeah. they would do like the stylized, like where they put the characters at a bit of a distance. And I'm like, I think that's Cyclops. Does it matter? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. and, and again, this is not like to say don't read Ultimate X-Men or anything like that. It was just my personal experience with it. So, um, so I only started really trying to start read more. Honestly, I started reading more X-Men um, in preparation for this episode. Um because I just realized it's a it's a giant gaping hole in my in my knowledge base that most of my X Men knowledge uh, came from either the movies, the cartoon, or um, um, X Men Legends, the video game. All very good places, by the way. But if I if, if I can, <laughs> if you're going to stick with one piece of media and learn about the X Men, the Animated TV show from 92 to 96 or 97 mm-hmm. is a great place because they were very, very faithful to the um, uh, to the series, um, the storylines, you know. Short oh, yeah, of, no, that's yeah. what I would learn later. They did, yeah. they, they did an incredible job of really translating it. And um, and it also it was it was interesting for me watching X-Men and why I sort of had to race home and, and watch it every day was because it was because they really did. They leaned into the serialization of it. Um, you couldn't mm. you, you couldn't come into it um, later on and and see mimic and know what the hell was going on if, right. if you were new to it right mm-hmm. so um, right. it was it was and they and they really did they they got everything in there even I still remember um, that at the time I couldn't really understand why why storm was freaking out in the box on Genosha but they but they did they brought you know, they brought her claustrophobia into the series. Right. Um, and I thought stuff like that, looking back, especially, um, I was like, oh, I liked it when I was younger. But as I get older, it's it's even cooler looking back and seeing how hard they work to be, to really be true to the characters, the stories, um, as well as the spirit of, of X-Men. So, Yeah, and I will say, Chris, uh, we'll do our hoopla plug. Because uh, all, <laughs> oh yeah, I suppose we hadn't done that yet, had we? All all five storylines that Arca mentioned are all available on Hoopla. Mutant Massacre is there. Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, Executioner Song, and what was the last? Oh, Fatal and Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions. Yeah, and Fatal, Fatal Attractions. Attractions. I only recognize it's funny because um, I used I, I tried to play the the Marvel Overpower card game before mm-hmm. I was playing like Pokemon, mm-hmm. and nobody else played that game, but I was collecting everything, and so. Fatal Attraction was one of like the sort of scenarios you could play in the card game. Right. So I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I recognize that. And, <laughs> and, I kind of, people, and I kind of know what it's about. A lot of people don't realize how much happened in Fatal Attractions. It wasn't as huge of a storyline. It, it didn't encompass the whole Marvel Universe. Um, but a lot happened. Not only did uh, not only did Wolverine lose his adamantium to Magneto, but... Professor mm. X and the same issue basically mind wiped Magneto, made him a vegetable, which then led to onslaught three years later. Um, and also magic Ileana Rasputin died from the legacy virus was one of the first one. It was one of the biggest mutants to die. She was only a child at the time. She, she had regressed back to her, her child years and that sent Colossus on his uh, way to leaving the X-Men and joining X-Men uh, uh, Magneto's um, group, which were stationed on uh, asteroid M 
Also was the first appearance of Exodus, which is a great character. Um, and, and, and Magneto's Acolytes, which were great characters in the uh, early to mid 90s before they fell off the map entirely. Wow, that's that that is a lot because for me what I and obviously I haven't I haven't read it yet so I'm I'm looking forward to to getting to it uh cuz I only just recently wrapped up um and it was and it's the silly things too right like I only just recently uh wrapped up the 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 fate of the phoenix and didn't realize that like oh right on the tail of right on the right on the tail of that is uh comes a uh, days of future past so things like that being put into perspective I really appreciate it um but for me one of the one of the most I thought one of the coolest pieces of art was that was just Wolverine having the adamantium ripped out of him as he's screaming. Like it was oh, just yeah. for whatever reason. And I can't tell you what it was exactly. Cause again, I didn't have a huge uh, attachment to the books or the characters, but just, just the way it was drawn. It just, it, it just, it's so iconic that it still sticks in my brain that, that one very big panel of Magneto just hovering over him, ripping the adamantium that, that, you know, comes out of them like liquid. It's just, it's yeah. just crazy. I agree. Which I, I Very hear good. from like, I listened to a podcast with some writers. I, I don't know if this is true because I didn't hear it from his mouth, but from secondhand from another writer in the X-Men writing room at the time, apparently that was a throwaway storyline that Peter David said, like, well, I would just rip the, I would just rip the animantium out of Wolverine. That's what I would do. Well, because it's a question that like, comes wait, up what, what about, <laughs> right? Like it's a question wow. that comes up a lot when we're talking about mm-hmm. superheroes and superpowers mm-hmm. is, well, why wouldn't you just do that? Mm-hmm. And the answer usually is something along the lines of, well, because that kills any hope for a narrative. Like this mm-hmm. is this is what we ran into with DC, right? Is that you have these characters that are so powerful that you're like, well, realistically, they could or would just do this. We can't backtrack on their power. So now what? So it's right. it's a really good question of like, why? Yeah, I would just rip all the metal off of this skeleton. And, but yeah, no, that's a good good point, Chris. Like, why wouldn't Batman years ago put acid on the Joker's right. brakes? Yeah, <laughs> we could, I, the Joker has killed. He's probably killed half the population of Gotham yeah. City. Yeah. And it's like, how the hell is the Joker still well, alive? That's the story that gets explored in Injustice, right? right? When it's finally yeah, like, yeah, yeah uh-huh. no, you and and we run into it with um with his son too, Damien, of like, how many people are going to die? How many people will you mm-hmm. let die before you finally pull the trigger on him? And so there are stories that come out of that. So it is funny that it's a throwaway story, but how many times do we we look at something like that uh, as a throwaway, but it actually asks a question or poses a situation yeah. that we've all talked about in comic book stores, mm-hmm. you know, having that conversation in Mint, and it's like, oh, finally, somebody decided to address this story or this idea, and let's see how it plays out. And mm-hmm. I appreciate. Oh, sorry, Arco. Oh, sorry. It, it took seven years for them yeah. to, uh, but, and that's the best part. I don't know if you're going to say that, James, but it took a, a long time for them to actually give it back. So they didn't, they just didn't say, you know, just give it back to him. Uh, you know, within the next few issues, he went seven years without it, and you know, mm-hmm. for better or worse, I don't know if the you thought the character was better with or without it, but it, it was, uh, it, it was good that they didn't just give it back to him. Yeah, no, I mean that's 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 a consequence, and um, and that's that's the thing that gets that that can be really interesting to explore. It's something that I think, from a storytelling standpoint, um, sometimes we're a little too quick to write the story and let it instead of letting some of the story write itself. It's something that I that I really admire about Farscape for the for the first couple of seasons there, they weren't exactly sure where they were going with the show, um, and the way they had gotten Crichton out into the deepest, darkest reaches of space was through a wormhole, but that wasn't supposed to be integral to the plot. It wasn't until it kept sort of coming up almost of its own accord that they decided to make it the centerpiece of the series going into season three. And that's where their strongest work was, was season three, season four. So um, 
So whether you think that's where some of the strongest writing came from or not, at least they gave the opportunity, they gave that story the opportunity to unfold and they gave Logan an opportunity to develop as a character without that adamantium. So at least we saw, okay, there are going to be consequences. This is going to last a while. So let's adjust to the new normal. I, I think that's cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, as we bring like this, this episode to a close, we might as well get to the, how come you stop reading X-Men Arco? <laughs> um, yes. That's uh, that question. is a good question because if there is one, <laughs> if there is one that I really, um, could have kept going on with um, after I stopped everything else. It would have been X-Men. However, the stories sucked. And mm. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm not shitting on – to me, the story sucked. I have a wealth of information that tells me that um, <clears throat> that the best writers – were from the 80s and 70s, 80s, and 90s. Claremont, Lee, Alan Davis, Scott Lobdell, uh, up until 95, they were, you know, they were great. And even though I know that Claremont did, uh, you know, other stuff in the 2010s before they finally got rid of him and everything, um, you know, it, it, w- it wasn't the same. Um, it, the fact that the continuity, a very important word in in comic books, had totally gone through, through, it had totally been thrown out the window. Uh, it didn't mean anything anymore. It, it, from from when I started in 1985 to when I officially stopped in the, in the 90s collecting, and then I got back into it in 2000. Ten years, you could connect everything from 85 to 95 in the X Men books. Even though they have some more books, you had X Factor, you had X Force, you had New Mutants, and and all that stuff. They were all working. Whatever was happening in one book, the main books affected the other ones that's continuity to me when they got rid of that it was it was over and you can blame in my opinion one person for that and you know my wolverine smokes my wolverine drinks and i'm sorry that joe casada felt that he was too sensitive and the world was too sensitive Mm. that they couldn't see that anymore okay however you know I don't remember too many kids picking up a cigarette in, in, you know, or a cigar in 1985 because Wolverine was doing it or, you know, doing all kinds of stupid things because the mutants were doing it. We won't get into that in that, that, that political sized uh, uh, discussion of uh, things like that. However, um, I blame a lot of the problems that came in the 2000s and beyond on Joe Quesada himself. So I, I don't know how you feel about that or where you land on that particular discussion, but I blame that. Well, Arco, I gave up on the X-Men after the last story I wrote was AVX, the Avengers versus the X-Men, and that was about 10 years yes. ago. And I, I gave up for various reasons. One, there was too many books, too many mm-hmm. characters. And then, of course, the, the whole MCU, when it got, became popular, and since the X-Men were owned, uh, not outwardly owned by Marvel, Marvel just dropped the X-Men books right. for a while. Then they brought them back again, and they exploded again onto the scene. It was just way too much to try mm-hmm. to keep up with. So, um, And uh, recently, I know James had... Uh, recently recommended and rightfully so the uh, the, the two volumes that hickman wrote recently uh james what were they titled oh, again yeah. I, Argo, I, I recommend this house of, house, house of x and powers of x which uh i would right. i'd recommend uh, i'd recommend giving a look i mean joe okay. i don't know if you had a chance to look at it i mean it, well yeah, go, no go ahead joe i'll let you make your point no what i was gonna yeah what i was gonna say is that unfortunately uh he was dismissed mr hickman and he's taken his, his toys and gone over to substack mm-hmm. but um and the people in the X-Men office now don't know what the hell they're doing. So um, 
Awkward. You're not missing anything yeah, I don't right think now. I am. <laughs> Thank you. No. <laughs> But um, you're right, Casada. Casada made some bad choices. As did Dan Diddy over at DC. Yeah. I, I think both of these guys got too big for their their heads got too big well, for their, well, their, their Let their me put it this way: I had no idea who the editor in chiefs were back in the 1980s or 90s. Okay, right. I, I mean I, I did, but you only you only knew them on paper. You never heard them or mm-hmm. saw them. And even in 2000, with the internet, with the soapbox that the internet was, I still should never have heard from Joe Quesada. I should never have heard right. in the in the comic book stores or from Wizard what was going on with him. He brought he was the superstar in his mind. Okay. And 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 I don't know who gave him the power to do it, but he took it upon himself to change everything. And some of it was okay. I, I will I will admit that uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men, when they first came out, were great. But I guarantee you, by three years later, everybody was tired of it because it was the same story over and over and over again. Yeah, it, it's a sports analogy I would make, Arco, is like uh, uh, when the owner of the team becomes, uh, you know, uh, gone as more yeah. press on the back page of the ball place, like, like, like old man Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner. like, uh, like Woody Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, like the, like Hess, like the Maras. We can go on and on, but yeah, yeah. That's a, I, I, I echo those sentiments. Article. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame. I know. Um, yeah. I, I will say it's a shame that the X-Men books fall apart, but like I was just saying, um, you know, Arco, I would, I would give house of X and powers of X okay. a try. Um, because Hickman's good. He he did obviously leave as Joe said, but I think he he left because they they weren't going to pay him what he wanted. Right. And and what yeah, I've, what I've exactly. read or heard from other podcasts that like really break down the comic <clears throat> industry, um, when they realize they made a mistake, they'll hire him back and he'll pick up the X Men again because he basically yeah. didn't finish his X Men story. And uh, mm-hmm. if they want him to, he's he's willing to come back if they pay his his amount. So, mm-hmm. but um, I will say that the the Hickman run was was trying to restore, found a way to restore X Men back to the continuity you remember. That's what I'll say. Okay. Was what he was trying to do with his run. Okay. So they were bringing back characters and restoring characters' personalities and costumes and everything back to that Claremont era when the X Men were in their golden age. So I mm-hmm. think for for a person like you who has so much knowledge, I think you might enjoy okay. what you what you see in those books. But thank you very much for the uh, suggestion. Yeah. So, um, so this was great, Arco. Um, really yeah, enjoyed having great. this deep dive with you. I think we could probably do it again on oh, other. Thank you. Other, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple of a couple of big X Men stories that we can really really pick apart. That could be fun. Hey, as long as I know them. <laughs> Remember, you got you know my time period. Uh, anything after uh, 1995, and uh, you may be uh, you may be teaching me something. But uh, um, I, you know the X Men. There they are about to me they're about change they're about uh, being different uh stan lee looking back on it created a uh, allegory for the civil rights uh, he said it mm-hmm. as much it's been it's been dissected um you know the x-men has not been afraid of bringing about lgbtq rights uh characters like that north star first openly gay character as a mutant okay um you know diversity how many different people and races within the team by themselves uh we talked about the religion you know they're not afraid to you know god loves man kills great graphic novel uh, claremont you know striker was not a you know for those of us who know striker as a general he wasn't he was a preacher 
and uh, was mm-hmm. one of the X-Men's greatest uh, foes at the time. Yes. And, um, you know, anti-Semitism. You guys brought it up before. Magneto, although he did not appear as a sympathetic character, you know, they gave him more layers uh, when uh, when the X-Men came back in the 70s. And they made him that uh, Eric Lencher character, of a person who has mm-hmm. uh, survived the concentra- concentration camps. So you have all these great parts to the X-Men. I don't see how anybody could really go wrong following up the, uh, the X-Men, classic X-Men. So definitely pick it up if you're out there, folks. If you need a new uh, comic book, uh, you know, that, that, that's the people to go to. Excellent, excellent. Well, that was a great yeah. way to tie, tie up the episode. Yeah. Uh, before we uh, wrap things up, Arco, will you please uh, plug, plug your podcast again? Uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, so me and my friend Jason Allison, we uh, have a podcast called Movie Challenge Accepted. Uh, I know that uh, the three gentlemen here have been listening to us, and we really appreciate that. Basically, the premise is uh, we challenge each other uh, to watch films that we normally wouldn't watch unless there's a gun to our heads. Uh, Jason is a highfalutin uh, movie aficionado. He loves black and white. He loves subtitles. He doesn't care if it's four hours of Russian art film. Oh God. <laughs> Don't want to turn him on to that. Cause he'll make me watch it. And uh, up until recently, he didn't watch any MCU films and you know me, I'm all about action adventure and, you know, give me Vin Diesel and his gravelly voice in a car that goes into space any day. So uh, it's been great. And uh, we've had a good, uh, a good turnout. And uh, if you guys want something to listen to that, uh, now, maybe you'll agree with us. Maybe you'll disagree, but I think you'll have fun listening to us. Movie challenge accepted. Excellent. And we'll put that a link to that in the show thank notes. You, thank you. And uh, movie challenge accepted is also on Instagram as well. Um, and Facebook, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Facebook group movie challenge accepted. Same thing with uh, Instagram. Excellent. Well, thank you, Arco, cool. so much for being on this episode and giving us all your uh, X-Men knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, I think so you great lived to up share to the expert with you, Arco. title. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. Uh, you guys, you. you guys are great. You're doing a great job. I'm, I listen to you guys Thank every you. week, and uh, it doesn't have to be about mutants or Marvel or anything. I just love the fact that you guys have uh, got the pulse of what people like you and me are really do like uh, out out in this world. So, thank you very much for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, you're quite welcome. As we wrap this up, thank you once again, Joe, for always being here. Oh, this has been a pleasure. This has been my great pleasure to be with Aqua today on, on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you. And Chris, thank you as always for being here. Oh, this was great. I had a blast. Excellent. And thank you, audience, for being here. Um, as always, if you want to join in in our conversation or make comments, you can find us at uh, Secret Origins of Mint Condition on Facebook, uh, secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. You can email us with any questions, comments, or anything maybe you'd like to see on the show. And Secret Origins MC is our Instagram account as well. Um, again, if you have time, we'd really appreciate you liking, sharing, and writing a review for this podcast that would really help us get out to other people in the community. And we thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon.